Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, welcome back. It's the latest edition of the Book of Joe podcast with me, Tom Verducci and Joe Madden. And this is a special, and I mean a special, Shohei Otani edition. Because Shohei Otani is not just baseball news, he is international news. And to me, Joe, there's there's no two people better to talk about Mr. Otani and his new future with the Dodgers than you, the manager who took off all the governors on this guy when he was with the Angels and just said, go play. And we're seeing the results of that kind of freedom. Uh, and I've known Shohei since he got to the big leagues and have done one of the very few sit-down interviews he has done in the States for an in-depth piece for Sports Illustrated back in 2020. So I think we have some really unique insight into what makes this guy tick. And Joe, I'm going to start off with, um, I'm going to call it a monologue, okay? Okay. Uh, And I'm curious to get your reaction to it because I really, there's something I want to say about this signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. We found out $700 million for 10 years and all but $20 million of that is being deferred 10 years down the line with zero interest. And what I want you to do as a listener right now is put away your cynicism, check it at the door. I know that's hard to do in the world of sports, big time money. Everybody's looking for an angle. Everybody's looking for a shortcut, a workaround, a hidden agenda. Stop it. Put all that away. Pretend that you are naive at that point because A lot of people ask me, well, what was the golden age of baseball? And you hear different answers to that. And the golden age of baseball is whenever you were 10 years old, because that's when you look at baseball and fall in love with the game with what Joe Madden calls first time eyes, where the world is full of wonder and you don't question what you see. You just bask in discovery of something that makes your heart skip a beat. That's baseball when you're 10 years old. Call me naive, but I look at Shohei Otani and I see someone who is the best player in the world, probably the most talented baseball player who ever played this game. 
and he is still looking at baseball like a 10-year-old with first-time eyes. There is a youthfulness about Shohei Otani and whatever his agenda is that, to me, is different from everybody else and all that we are used to. And that's why I say check your cynicism at the door because when people heard that Shohei Otani was deferring 97.1% of his money, first reaction was, well, this is a workaround. Dodgers are trying to skirt the competitive balance tax. This is nothing but fuzzy accounting. Bean counting at its best. It's not. This idea originated with Shohei Otani. He went to every club that he talked to, especially the Dodgers, and he first started with his agent. And he said, what if I defer all of my money? The agent looked into the competitive, the collective bargaining agreement, and he saw, well, you can't play for free. You have to take at least minimum salary, which next year is $740,000. They decided on $2 million. Nice round number. That number next year, Shoei Otani, who's the best player in the world, will be paid less than Austin Barnes, the backup catcher for the Dodgers. Why did Shohei Otani do that? Again, we go back to what we talk about a lot on this podcast about pure intentions. When your intentions are pure, when there's no hidden agendas, when it's not about self-serving intentions, when it's about the greater good, about community, and in this case, team, those are pure intentions. Shohei Otani did not want to hamstring his next team, which in this case is the Dodgers, by having $70 million a year attached to a luxury tax figure, which prevents a club from building around him. And he told the Dodgers, you can take this money, defer it without interest, 97% of it, and I'm cool with it. He actually said, meeting with Dodgers, he thought the whole number was somewhat laughable. That's the way he put it. He's not about the money. He's got plenty of it. If you want to be a cynic, you could say Shohei Otani next year, and this is true, he's going to make $50 million next year in endorsement money and probably for the next 10 years. He will be, even with a $2 million salary in 2024, the highest paid player in baseball by a lot because of what he makes off the field. So yes, he does have a nice backstop to this. But the fact is, he did this to make sure the Dodgers can feel a competitive team around him. What this is doing is putting... Another $23.94 million in the Dodgers' pockets that they otherwise would not have to spend. And that's why, after signing it, Otani, they met with Yashinobu Yamamoto, the top free agent pitcher coming out of Japan, and they have Josh Hader, Josh Hader, the relief pitcher, best relief pitcher on the market, on their radar. This is all possible because Otani is deferring 97.1% of his salary. So this is a case... And Joe, I want your reaction to this because you know this guy so well, where it's a unique player. We know that, a two-way player. But he's also a unique person. I cannot recall anything like this in my lifetime in sports. This is someone who is the best at what he does in his sport. And when it came down to the absolute leverage of free agency for the first time, because remember, the first time he came over when the Angels signed Otani, he was limited because he was not yet 25 years old, and he could only sign a minor league contract with a bonus limited to $2.3 million. He left $200 million plus on the table rather than waiting two years to be 25 and be unlimited free agent. So this is a guy I've never heard of it before, and I don't think we ever will, reaches the top of his profession, and he's a free agent, 
And what is important to him is not asking for perks, not asking for incentive clauses. If I'm the MVP, I get this much. Not asking for luxury boxes, private planes, trips home, whatever it may be that we always hear about when people have the leverage for the first time at the top of the market to demand individual perks. Instead, he asked that the money be paid down the line so that in present-day dollars, the Dodgers can build a team around him. You can call me naive, and in this case, I'm happy. I'd rather be naive than cynical and find hidden agendas that are not there. That's my monologue. I know it's a lot, Joe, and I know you know this guy well, but I think when you're talking about Shohei Otani, you're talking about a unicorn of a player, a unicorn of a person, a unicorn of a contract. Well, I mean, uh, there's really little to add to that. You've nailed it pretty well, like you typically do. Um, as you're going through all of that, I had written a note down. I didn't even know this, but you kind of covered it. Um, his agenda is to do the right thing. That's what he does. I mean, that's he wakes up in the morning. I don't care if it's baseball, his life, friends, whatever, whatever it is. I don't. I don't even. Not met his family. I've heard about his baseball coach, but to me. Uh, the impression he made upon me was that his agenda on a daily basis is to do the right thing. What does that mean? I mean, whether how he interacts with people, uh, what kind of work is he going to put in today? Um, I, I want to do the best I possibly can today to help my team win. I, I got to get better at this particular pitch. Who do I need to speak to about that? Um, am I hitting him off a little bit? What kind of work do I need to do today? In the batting cage, I can't speak to his personal life regarding what there is important to him, uh, like baseball is important to him. But regardless, and like you've covered it with the uh, the way he thinks, his agenda is to do the right thing. And then my second thought was, and you had you covered again, they had to have known, um, he had to have known, or the Dodgers had simultaneously knew that this kind of contract would be amenable to both sides. He had this in his mind. I don't know if he had heard about it before. I don't know if somebody put it in his head. I can't tell you it's something that he thought about on his own, but he definitely it was there and he mulled over it for a period of time until he decided, yeah, this sounds good. And I, this is very workable, um, makes all the sense in the world. It's, it really is going to permit our team to be the best team they can be for a long period of time and win as much as we possibly can, which has been his agenda from, from Jump Street. So those two things, right thing. And he, he did his research and I'm sure Nez did too regarding how the Dodgers would react to all of this. Um, last point i'll get it back to you was like okay for those that don't believe it um and again i just have a, a fraction of his lifestyle but the guy really doesn't he's not extravagant you've already mentioned that he's not an extravagant personality or person i don't know what his home looks like in newport i have no idea what the maybe the compound looks like in japan i have no idea but i, I would bet that it's nice but it's not over the top nice and i would bet i know there's not parties all night long i know that he's like you said he's not flying all over the place i know that even after a game on the road, he's not, you know, frequenting the the best nightclub in town. He doesn't do those things. So whatever amount of money he's made, how much he's made, how he's going, how much he's going to continue to make. Um, curious eventually where that's money and money's going to end up, and what the altruistic component is to all that with him, because there that's it. I mean, it's about him being a really great baseball player, a the best ever. That's what he wants to be. He's on his way. It's hard to argue that he's not already. That's number one. And then how many people can he help along the way? Those are the two things that I think that he's made of. I don't, again, I'd love to sit down with his parents, teachers, somebody that could describe young Shohei in uh, junior high school, high school, and, of, of course, his coaches that he's had in the past. Because I know 
I'd have to bet 100,000% that nothing has changed. He's been this particular fellow his whole life. And I'm here to tell you, I don't care how much money you pay him, he's not going to change from here on out. That's so well said, Joe, because I think you hit on something here when you mentioned that even you as his manager for three years, you really don't know like what's a big part of his life other than baseball, obviously. Mm-hmm. And that's also what strikes me, Joe, is that Shohei Otani is the most expensive, if you will, or the richest athlete in the world, individual athlete. And he's done it without selling himself. In other words, his value is completely wrapped up in the fact that he is a two-way baseball player with elite skills. There's not a brand associated with his personality. We don't know a lot about him. You know, I don't think he's trying to get a million followers on TikTok. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He is completely dedicated to the game of baseball. He's got two hobbies, playing baseball and training for baseball. And yeah, he likes to play video games too. That's about it. So it's not like he went out there and tried to sell himself as some kind of personality or brand. I think that is so refreshing. This year, the Oxford English Dictionary, every year they pick one word to be the word that's most symbolic in terms of what people are really researching and using and and trying to decipher. The word this year they chose was authentic. Think about that, Joe. We live a day and an age where people are finding the word authentic as unusual. And what does it mean? And, and what's the true definition of it? That used to be a given that that's where you began. Now we're trying to get back to authentic. And when I think of Joey Otani, I think of authentic. He's not trying to craft an image, a brand, and then capitalize on that. He plays things close to the vest. I think he's mostly an introvert. He's an incredibly gracious, humble person. You've seen him in the dugout, Joe. If there's a gum wrapper on the floor, he picks it up. He's a neat freak besides everything else that he does. So that's why I say you really have to check your cynicism. Nobody's perfect. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying this guy is driven by, I think, altruistic means. And by the way, in terms of, you know, what's the charitable component to this? I'm sure he'll do more, but he recently gave gloves, baseball gloves to just about every elementary school in a huge area. We're talking like 60,000 baseball gloves. And that is so Shohei as well, providing others and hoping that they can find the same joy in this game that he has. Well, a couple things there. Yeah. His day's easy because he doesn't have to fabricate anything. He just wakes up and he is, is himself. He doesn't have to think about any kind of, like you're saying, branding. Um, uh, any, any, again, any fabrication. Authentic is the correct word for him. And, and with that dovetailing, maybe we already know everything about him. We're looking for other things to know about him. Maybe we know everything. Uh, why does it have to be complicated? Why does it have to have so many layers? Why can't it just be exactly what we're seeing who he is? He has developed this easy way of living, just like authenticity. This is who I am every day. When I go to the ballpark, you ask me a question, I answer it straight up. I go down to the cage, I do my work, I uh, get ready for the game. I talk to the pitching coach, the bullpen coach, my catcher. Uh, after the game's over, I win. I go back home. Uh, certain kind of food I want to like to I like to have. He pay brings it by. Uh, might call his family. Who knows? But I mean, every day I believe is wrote. There's there's a, an absolute rhythm to his day that he loves. 
I would think that if you try to throw like a little wrench in there at some point, that would be the one thing that would possibly um, show something about Shoei that we don't realize. But maybe we know everything. Why are we looking for anything else? Believe it. This is who this fella is. And like I said, um, and it, we could all think about that too. Today's easy if we just go about being ourselves. It's very easy. Well, that's some great advice. Yeah, maybe there's not, <laughs> you know, some hidden side of Oshoei Otani. If we take him for what we do know, mm-hmm. why isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. And it's certainly good enough. I think, and Joe, you've seen this. He's so intentional about everything that he does. I see him on his throw days with Ipe, you know, basically measuring the speed or RPNs of everything he throws. Everything is done very purposefully. Um, and yes, part of a routine as well. And I think in this case now, he's coming to the Dodgers not as the highest paid athlete in the world, not as a $70 million a year player, but as a $2 million a year player. Not literally. I understand the money's coming at the back end. But in terms of what he did for his teammates, he is not coming in as this is my team. I'm a $70 million player. He's coming in already established as an authentic teammate. And it's a great group of guys they have in that clubhouse with Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Will Smith. He just slides in there. And it's weird to say this, Joe, but as a complimentary player, listen, his star is brighter than anybody. He's the only international star that this game has, truly international. Mm -hmm. So it will be about him, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the framework or the chemistry of the club, he's a true teammate right now and not some hired gun coming in to take over as his team inadvertently you already described something that I think is absolutely beautiful about him and any great athlete, uh, especially in today's, uh, 2023 world, he combines tech with feel as good as anybody. He does like everything. When he, when he's doing things, he pay will follow him around with like these little mechanisms that are measuring different, whether it's, um, he said spin, you know, I don't even know exit velocity when he's hitting bat speed, all this stuff. They're always teching it up. But when the game begins, nobody has better feel than he does. Nobody from what I've seen. Uh, when I watch him pitch and his ability to create game in progress, his ability to watch a hitter and make an adjustment based on what he's saying and based on how I feel on that day. What do I got today? I'm going to use more of this, less of that. He, again, I, I can't emphasize this enough, and I think that's the beauty of him. And again, it's not maybe spoken about his ability to combine new world with old world ways. Because after all, his personality cannot be more old school than any personality you've met in the recent, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And then again, uh, when you watch him prep, his prep really does utilize a lot of the things that are happening today. But when the game begins, when the game begins, this fella here is as, for me, is as old school as it gets. He's out there to beat you. He's out there to help his team win. And that's probably the only two things that matter to him on a daily basis. Yeah, I love to hear that. And if you watched him play in the WBC, going down to the bullpen to warm up while being the DH and coming in to close the game out and how badly he wanted that. And if you rewind the tape before the game, he was the one who stood up in the clubhouse and told his teammates on the WBC Japanese team, we know all those players on the other side. We've admired them, but the admiration has to stop here. We cannot be intimidated by the names that we're playing against. And he took charge. And I think you saw the way he struck out Mike Trout with that last pitch. He took charge there. So now you're looking at a Dodgers team that has not played a meaningless game in 11 years. 
11 straight years in the postseason. Shohei has played six years in the big leagues and has never finished less than 10 games from first place. Never been in a postseason game. Has played way too many meaningless games. And that's what I'm excited about. This is great for baseball, for him to be with the Los Angeles Dodgers competing for World Series. Yeah, I'll say it. Every year, the Dodgers should have a chance to win every year for the next 10 years with their resources, the way the organization is run. Mm -hmm. And we're going to see Shohei at his best when the games matter the most. We're going to take a quick break, but I, I really want your take on something that came up during his free agency when there was, believe it or not, belly aching that he wasn't running some dog and pony show as a free agent. Back right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot slash Book of Joe. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mm-hmm. 
So, Joe, I mentioned I wanted to ask you about his free agency, but I know I cut you off there before our last break. You had something to say, and I always want to hear whatever you have to say, especially when it comes to Shohei. Well, the thing is that um, we, the whether you like the WBC or not, and I'm I, I'm definitely on the fence about it. I know you like it more than I do. That one event probably catapulted him more than anybody else at this point, at least. I'm watching that whole thing unfurl and um, right down. I when I read about heard about the speech, something he's not doesn't normally do, like this leadership component of him, this uh, actual visible leadership component begins to show through. And then the moment he punches out Trouty and fires his glove in the air, I've never seen that kind of a, well, first of all, he's never had anything to celebrate like that in, in uh, with the angels up to that point. But the combination of all of that and the fact that that stage was really important to him. And again, I, it's not that he was contrived in any way, but it wasn't lost on him. He knew um, the impact that that could have on this upcoming year for himself. Again, his place in the game as you know, the best baseball player in the world right now and, and down the road. And then anybody that wants to draw comparisons back to the guy, number three, back in the day. Okay, here we go. This is, this is what I got. So again, it's not like it's a, uh, it, it's definitely, it comes from a sense of humility, but there's also a lot of pride in there that he wants to be the best ever. And so I think that platform there cannot have been more perfect for him regarding um, his opportunity to speak up and then to throw the last pitch, the last out of the game and celebrate in a way that he hasn't had a chance to to this point and showed you all the emotion that he actually has built up inside. Uh, it was a great moment. No offense to the Texas Rangers. Their run was incredible, undefeated on the road the postseason. But Shoei Otani striking out Mike Trout to end the WBC in a one-run game, that was the best moment of the 2023 baseball season. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And there's big moments coming with that LA Dodger team for Shohei Otani. He was, this was something that was bound to happen. I believe Joe, since he was in high school and the Dodgers thought he was going to sign with them. Mm -hmm. And it was Hideki Koryama, his manager with the fighters who I call the Joe Madden of Japan because he connects with people and he's not afraid to think outside the box. He was the one, first of all, he wore purple underwear <laughs> to go meet Otani because that was Otani's high school color was purple. Um, that's the way he thinks. But he gave Otani a, a shirt and it had a bunch of birds flying on it, a t-shirt. And it basically said, spread your wings, dare to dream. And he challenged him. He said, walk down a path nobody has walked down. And that meant being a two-way player. But do it in Japan first. Establish a bona fides as a two-way player. And when you're ready, go fly. Go fly to MLB. Instead of signing with an MLP team at 17 or 18, you're probably going to get specialized pretty quickly in the major league system. And he did that. And it was, when it was time when Otani wanted to leave, Koryama was true to his word. And he said, go ahead. You're ready. We they didn't try to keep him. They could have. They posted him. Let him go. And that kind of mutual trust he's trying to establish now with the Dodgers. But this gets me back, Joe, to the free agency of Shohei Otani. Because there were people in the media complaining that it was not good for baseball that his free agency was so secretive. I guess people wanted the dog and pony show. They wanted the daily leaks. They wanted mystery teams involved. You know, the usual BS that goes along with free agency and people think it's fun to follow on a daily basis when actually nothing's happening. And it's, it's basically a fictional narrative to create a market for a player. If you've been watching Shohei Otani for the last six years, folks, <laughs> it's not who this guy is. 
Again, he's basically an introvert who loves to play baseball. That's it. He's not going to do anything self-serving as a free agent that he hadn't been for six years. I could not believe the criticism of Otani and the agent, Nezbolello, that they weren't running some, you know, leak fest, if you will. It's not good for baseball. You know, that's not his job as a free agent. His job is, as the agent, to get his client the best possible deal and to do it in a way that the client wishes. And for Otani to have it be a public spectacle, that's not who he is. I, I just did not understand that criticism at all. Well, again, I think it's just driven by social media as much as anything because there's such a um, uh, emphasis on being the first one to report something. So uh, that's been my take over the last several years. It's become increasingly more important, it seems, that whoever gets the credit to be the first person to report something wins somehow. And, um, and of course, more recently, we've seen that there was uh, some kind of wrong information giving with all this. So uh, that's the vehicle, I think, that drives this kind of a narrative regarding criticizing Shohei and Nez, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, this is like so personal for me. You should be willing to accept what the person or the group's willing to share. That's it. There's no other. It's there. They should be. He should be in control of this. Him and his agent should be in control of this. If they're more comfortable with more information being put out there, fine. And if they're not, fine. But uh, I do. I, I, that's the one part. Um, that I, this is my, I, I don't know if it's just my personal opinion, but I'd prefer not having that be part of the landscape where it's so important. It seems to be, there's almost like a, uh, you get credit, you get, you get credit in school, you get, you know, you get a, a better degree. If in fact you're able to report something first, it just means you might have more sources than somebody else. All that means, but I think that's it. And, um, to their credit, they didn't cave under it. That's a great point, Joe. And I'll, I'll kind of flip that. What you said is, you know, people looking to get credit for basically being first. I get that. Don't get me wrong. I understand that completely. But what's missing here is the flip side of that, is that when you're wrong. Right. Remember when you were in school and you, you saw that red ink from your teacher mm-hmm. on whether it was a math test or an essay that you wrote? <laughs> man, I don't know about you, but those hurt, man. You're being told, no, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And you wanted to do better the next time. So there was a price for making mistakes. In this case, I think we've lost the price associated with being wrong with things like this. People just like, oh, oh well, it was wrong. It was entertaining. You know, Shohei Otani never got on a plane to Toronto. How do you write that? When the sources are saying, can't confirm or deny, but I wouldn't write that. I mean, how do you miss that? I get it that the, the the race to be number one, to have something interesting. And Otani, as I said, is the only true international star in baseball. So anything associated with him, you realize, is going to be viral. His name is going to get you more clicks, period. Totally understand that. But I think, Joe, we've reached a point where being wrong doesn't even matter. That's awesome because that's true. And what happens is – you kind of alluded to it. It's just a big old situation where you say, oh, my bad, my bad. You know, I, I was wrong. Okay, let's move on. But you don't even consider the potential hurt it did for the person that you put in that situation. Again, you you, you stated it well. I understand. I mean, if I'm competing in, in a sense, and this is in a journalistic sense, yeah, I want to be ahead of everybody else. Of course I do. But not to the point where I could be a little bit out of control uh, not vetted enough, whatever. Again, as you described it, that's the part that's really dangerous. And then 
On top of that, the speed of, of, of information today really encourages you to attempt to be first even more and then probably encourages the potential to be wrong even more. Uh, you know that better than I do. I'm just talking from a distance right now. So I, I listen, I, the non-Vedic component of social media is, will always be a sticking point for me where amateurs get to play professionals. And that's, that's the part that um, I don't know that, you know, people that really follow closely enough really uh, step back and, and analyze whether or not there is validation to what I'm reading right now, or do I just accept it blindly? That's my big concern with all of that. And then again, when in a situation like with Shohei, uh, the, the reports go sideways wrong or, or critical, like you had talked about, just plain critical based on, you know, your own personal opinion, your own personal perspective, which you have a, quite a podium for, whereas the player or the, in this situation, he does not. And then, and then how about he gets up and apologizes for taking so long? And I, I, would, I would bet that part of how that all came down motivated him to think that he had to apologize for for him for in his mind and Nez's mind doing the right thing. That's that's where all this stuff to me gets skewed. And that's where I really encourage people to make up your own mind about what you see and what you read. Uh, we're all influenced. Listen, we're all influenced. So we, we have always we all have a little bit of a plagiarist in our lives because we get we learn um, in a sense in a by other good teachers, things that we have read, observations we make based on our own life's experiences. I get that. But at the end of the day, um, please, I, I encourage everybody, I encourage my players. I'm actually wearing the shirt today. No regurgitation. Tell me what you think, not what you've heard. And I think there's so many people that just have to be able to regurgitate what they've heard because they really don't know what they think. I always love the way you put things in the right context, Joe. Um, false narratives. I, I wanted to talk about one of Otani's former teammates now, Mike Trout. And we'll get back to Otani in a minute, but this also came up in the course of Otani's free agency since the season ended. Mike Trout being traded. Completely false narrative. It's been out there. People ran with it. People start making up fake trades. Perry Manazian came out at the winter meetings and said, 100% Mike Trout's not being traded. He never was going to get traded. Joe, you told me something about Mike where you you hit the nail completely on the head with Mike, and that is all he wants to do is please people, please his family, please his employer, please his teammates. That's Mike Trout. Mm -hmm. The only way Mike Trout is going to be traded, if he walked up to Artie Moreno and said, get me out of here, there's no way Mike Trout's doing that. This is a guy who sat in the draft room in Secaucus for I don't know how long, but it went through 21, 22 teams, whatever it was. Angels finally took him. He has never forgotten that. The Angels have taken care of him with extensions twice, never allowing him to get to free agency. And Mike was happy each time the way he was treated. I, You know, the idea of Mike Trout being traded is a complete fabrication, complete false narrative. People got a lot of miles out of it. But that's the way the world works now. And then the GM comes out and says the obvious, 100% not being traded. But I'll give you credit, Joe, because I think you nailed Mike and who he is so well. This kid from New Jersey who still hangs out with his high school buddies. And I don't think Mike's going to change either. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I mean, when you say a statement like that, some people might think it's a negative. It's, there's nothing negative about that. I'm, a, I'm from up the road. I have that, those same kind of qualities about me. And I think any good human being pretty much has those qualities about them. And I think some of that bleeds to loyalty, where pleasing, 
there's a, there's a trust component and there's definitely a loyalty component to those that really are attempting to please somebody else. Of course, you, you, you don't like the criticism. Nobody likes criticism, so you can't even say that. But I, I think that um, when somebody describes somebody as being uh, kind of like I described Michael, um, needing to be liked, we all do. We all do. Um, but when you come from where he came from, small town, small town values, uh, you were raised, you were raised by the entire community. There's no, I, I was, I still, if I look at my window right here, uh, that's the golf course they used to play Michael Jack on in the 1970s and all of his buddies. Um, and they had a great influence on me. You go up the hill to Hazleton high school. I lived right across the street from that. And I used to just literally walk across the street to get to school in the morning. And all those teachers and coaches that were in there had an influence on me. And if I run into them, there's still some around and they still do. They're Mr. Mr. Mussolini the other night here at the uh, Valley Country Club. And then they needed a favor. He needed a favor with his son in Milwaukee. What do you do? You drop everything and you, and you pick up and you do that favor based on the people that you are tied to, uh, you're based on your history. And you could say it's because you want to be liked. And that's possibly true. And it's probably true. But there's a loyalty component that you'll do anything for these people that you're talking about. Michael, Michael will do anything for these people, whether it's the people back in Millville. I think he's building his cool golf course down there. Or like you're suggesting that Artie was so good to him. Uh, you asked me, I think, before somebody did, should Michael walk into the office, uh, Artie's or Perry's and demand a trade? He can't do that. He can't even he can't even imagine doing something like that. You don't do that. You might walk in and say, listen, what's going on here? You know, I really want to win. I want us to do better. What can I do to help? What what is the what are the plans? Those kind of things would be probably his tact, but not to demand. And again, I'm I'm speaking for myself. My as a major league manager, my tact has been to try to participate, and it has been to participate. I'm gonna give you my suggestion, and it's gonna be straight up. Okay, that's that's not being disagreeable. You just asked me a question. But at the end of the day, uh, we all have to work off the same sheet of music. And and that's what he wants to do. And I cannot agree with him more. Uh, you nailed it again, Joe. Dead on with, with Mike Trout. And the Angels are trying. I think um, they just really don't know how to win. I think they want to win. They don't know how the process has worked to make it happen. We'll see if that changes. We are going to get back to Shohei Otani after this break because we need to talk about what the future holds. Is he going to pitch again? Can he be an ace again? What about the Dodgers? Are they the team to beat Major League Baseball? What about the Blue Jays, who thought they had a really good chance at Shohei? We'll dive into what's next right after this. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Okay, Joe, I know the Dodgers aren't done. You know that as well. It's all about pitching at this point. And I was told that they're in on Yamamoto. They love Sasaki, Roki Sasaki. If he's posted, I almost think they'd rather have him than Yamamoto. Yamamoto, the number is going to probably get near $300 million or above, including a posting fee. Uh, They're also in on Josh Hader to be their closer. We'll see how that goes. They are not putting resources at this point into offense. And I looked at their outfield and thought, well, maybe they could use a right-handed bat to really platoon with Jason Hayward in right field. Mookie Betts is going to play second base. They're cool with the inventory of hitting they have. They have some good young right-handed bats coming up. Andy Pajes, probably the, the biggest name there. And we saw the way Josh Altman played center field and broke through as a rookie this year. Give credit for the Dodgers, man. That that farm system just does not stop churning, and they're loaded with good young arms. So, yeah, the Dodgers, to me, once again, as they are every year, team to beat in the NL West. Do they win a world championship? I don't know. Who knows, Joe, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to do, but I think what we're looking at now is the game used to always be about the haves and the have-nots, right, in terms of resources. We're looking at now at a new game that has three levels to it. You have the super teams, the super resources, the haves, and the have-nots. I would put the Dodgers and the Mets in that category unto themselves with payrolls pushing $300-plus million. The Yankees could be there, and maybe when all is said and done this winter after getting Juan Soto, they will. But the Red Sox are no longer in that category. Angels not in that category. Cubs not in that category. The Dodgers have moved the bar higher Now, listen, they did this on purpose. They basically took the last 15 months to create some payroll space for Shohei Otani, and they wound up getting him. Good for them. It's a great plan. And going forward, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I I think this team is loaded offensively. How about, Joe, filling out a lineup? Betts, Otani, Freeman, Smith, Muncy, on and on it goes. That's pretty darn good. 
and don't get me wrong, they're going to get more pitching to add to the group of young pitchers they have coming. Yeah, well, yeah. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm thinking as a manager as you're talking all that, not as running one of those teams, but how do you play against them? That was my, uh, you know, because I back in the day with the Angels, uh, even with the Rays, American League East coming up in 2006, 2007. Hey, you guys need to get out of the AL East. There's no way the Rays compete with the Yankees and the Red Sox at that particular juncture. They're spending way too much money. You guys are spending 40 million a year. They're spending 200 million a year, whatever it was at that particular time. And that's all I ever heard. And Listen, I am guilty and naive. I have a naivete about me sometimes. But I thought, why does money matter for who's going to play a better game tonight? That was my thought. And that was a thought I attempted to sell to the players, to the organization, at any time I was able to speak on TV or radio. So the group that's not the super groups that you've described, because after all, the Diamondbacks were there this year. And you could say that the Rangers are really good, but they weren't there this year. I mean, they were there this year also. So... Some teams can like slip through the cracks. And for me, if I'm running these other teams that have to compete against these super teams, man, it's it's so much about playing good baseball on a nightly basis. That's where I think it's really important to develop your own method, your own system of play. Not unlike, again, with the Diamondbacks. The D-backs went in there and they had some nice young players, but not expected to do what they did. But they got there because their methodology was unique to them. It was, it was actually... It was a combination of old and new. They had power. They had speed. Their pitching came up at the right time. But that's where I would have to focus right now because I got to beat the Dodgers. I got to beat the Mets. And how do you do that? That's been kind of interesting, actually. That, to me, would be kind of fun to hold the keys of the of the other cars as opposed to the keys of the Mets, the Dodgers, and whomever else you want to describe as a super club. I don't even know if the Yankees is based on salary. Uh, whoever the super clubs are. I want to play against them. That's what I want to do. I want to, I want to compete against the super clubs, and I really think it's a wonderful opportunity for those organizations to really focus on developing who we are, how we do this, and really understand on a nightly basis. It's up to our guys to play a better game of baseball than their guys, independent of dollars spent. Man, Joe, I love hearing that. It's no surprise coming from you. That's why you were such a great manager. You can boil it down to that simple challenge, if you will, but it's actually a reality. When you talk about payrolls, it doesn't matter on that particular night. Can we be better than that team? And listen, go back. You mentioned this, Arizona playing against the Dodgers last year in the postseason. Huge difference in their 162-game seasons. Huge difference in their payrolls. But with Brent Strom as their pitching coach, and they were able to execute a plan, and they shut down Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, and that Dodger offense and took three straight from them. So on a nightly basis, yes, that's the great equalizer in this game. We can talk all we want about, you know, the game is tilted towards these high-revenue clubs. The great equalizer is the postseason. And you'll see this in four or five years when baseball expands, adds two more teams, they'll probably expand the postseason. And people will say, well, how do you put the brakes on the Mets and the Dodgers? You put the brakes on those teams by strapping it on and going into best of five or best of seven. That's it. Short sample size is going to really, I don't want to say take out payrolls, but it'll mitigate the impact of payrolls in a short series. And that's the fun and that's the excitement of the postseason. So the Dodgers are not guaranteed to win anything. I like them in the playoffs every year again for the next 11 years. Sure, why not? Especially if they expand. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they're going to be rattling off championships. When I'm in the other dugout, the other team that maybe doesn't have as much money, I really think on the on the front line, your, your front line guys, if you've done a good job, really 
uh, have a chance to play well against the other frontline guys that are getting paid more money. I think where it really shows up is in depth, uh, with depth. Um, when you don't have as much money, the, there's a lot of pressure on you to not make mistakes, whereas teams with a lot of money have less pressure and not worry so much about making a mistake, whether it's a free agent acquisition, uh, a trade that they might want to make, whatever. There's more, I think there's more latitude to make mistakes. I think that's where money really is a difference maker with all this. So if I'm that team, and again, I'm just uh, continuing along that train of thought. Yeah, we could beat those teams. I really believe we can with this group that we, we, we've acquired and accumulated, put on the field. But while, we, while we've done that, I would really, oh my God, I would I pay attention to depth right there. And I know it's not easy. I get it. It's becoming more difficult with the uh, and with expansion. It's going to become even more difficult. But again, this is why it's so important to create your own methods. I think uh, that separate you from the other guys. And uh, when you're able to do that, that again could could keep you playing latter part of the season. Can permit you to beat these better teams. So it's a combination of selling your guys on the fact that we have to play better brand of baseball tonight, and then from the front office perspective, coming on down to me. You just got to be constantly focused on who's who's our depth, who's coming next. And I know the good teams do the same thing. I get it, but I'm all about uh, teaching, and and teaching it in a way that I believe we're going to play better than they're going to play tonight. We're going to take different risks or chances that they're not willing to take. The real dangerous team is a really good team or expensive team that goes out there and really plays it like caution to the wind. It goes out there and is not afraid of making mistakes and takes chances. Um, whether it's on the bases, um, you know, whether they might push a pitch a little bit farther. I don't know. There's different areas that you could take chances on on a nightly basis that makes you even more difficult to contain. This is this is how I think when I'm looking at the, the haves and the have-nots, how do you beat them, what is important, depth versus money, making mistakes or no mistakes, and don't be afraid to take risks. This is how I look at it. Yeah, and to me, you just described the Houston Astros, okay. and that's why they play over 600 baseball in the postseason. Talent. Plus, they're not afraid to make mistakes. Uh, real quick, Toronto Blue Jays, their fans thought they had this guy. Mm-hmm. They thought Otani was on a plane to Toronto to sign a contract and play alongside Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero for the next couple of years before those guys' contracts are up. It didn't happen. I think they were a legit contender. We talked about this last week. I, I, I didn't think this was a complete stalking horse. But to me, what it comes down to, Joe, is that in these 11 years, the Dodgers have been in the postseason every year. The Blue Jays have been in the postseason five times. Their farm system is ranked 25th in baseball. You could be walking into another angel situation if you're Shohei Otani and you sign the next 10 years with the Toronto Blue Jays. Is there an upside? Absolutely. But look at track records. It's as simple as that. The possibility of playing in a World Series, of being in the postseason every year, is much higher with the Dodgers than it is with Toronto Blue Jays. So where they go from here, I don't know. I give them credit for getting in the game. They were in on Soto, missed out on him. They got in on Otani, missed out on him. They still need a left-handed bat. Good luck finding another impact one. Yeah, I I think that's exactly what happened. I I do believe they were viable. I I do believe that was uh, because I was just trying to think as though show might think, and and I think that might have been interesting to him. A whole new country like we talked about before, a team on the rise to uh, fixing up the ballpark. One thing I talked about, I don't think he would have gone back east without a dome. I don't think he wanted to contend with that kind of weather. The, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Los Angeles Angels, the San Diego Padres play outside with a dome. It's just the weather's always that good. And I thought that would be important to him too. So I think at the end of the day, the overarching, overriding factor was 
I want to go someplace that they have a chance to win on an annual basis. And and part of that was to be to prove to me that you've won in the past. So when they, I would almost bet they're sitting down there in the room at the end of the day, they're going all over the pros and cons. And that had to really pop up because that was so important to show to not be caught up in another, like you said, angels organization where there's all a lot of hype, a lot of talk all the time, but nothing really happens where I think he could have, like you said, drawn those comparisons with the blue Jays too. So yeah, at the end of the day, what am I talking? What am I, am I even, why am I even considering this? I said, I wanted this. This is what I've been looking for all along. And I'm going to run away from this Dodger team that permits me everything I'm looking for in an attempt to, to rise or erase this other team up. That was what I eventually thought, even though I was touting the Blue Jays for a bit. But if you really had listened to what he had said and what you thought, yeah, the Dodgers made the most sense. And finally, to wrap things up here, we're talking about, I believe, the most talented player to ever play this game. No one has ever been a two-way player for this long, this well, than Shohei Otani. In the last three years, he is second among hitters in slugging. Only Aaron Judge has a higher slugging percentage. He is so fast, only Ahmed Rosario has more triples. It's the same guy. Second in slugging, second in triples. And oh, by the way, when it comes to ERA, he's third. Only Max Fried and Max Scherzer have a lower ERA. The same guy who's second in slugging and is second in triples is third in ERA. We'll never see this again. This contract is not applicable to anybody else, so don't tell me that it's setting the bar for anybody. This is the unicorn. And we should be sitting here today saying, this player, the most talented player to ever play this game, put what's best for the Dodgers ahead of what's best for himself. I'm sorry, this this is a magnanimous move by Otani. The fact that it was his idea to defer so much money is a sign of his humility. And I think instead of looking for ulterior motives and hidden agendas, we should be celebrating this guy. Yes, exclamation point. 100% on the money. Cannot disagree with any of that. You know, retrospectively, it seems like a lot of it's obvious. I think we had talked about a lot of this in advance of it actually occurring. But again, when it's all wrapped up in a nice little bow, it all makes sense. There's, there's, there's nothing about it that isn't congruent. It's, it's as it should be. Uh, and furthermore, I mean, Andrew with the Dodgers, I know Andrew very well. And um, I, I know some of his lieutenants too. And of course, the resources that they have. He's very good too at sitting in the weeds. He'll sit in the weeds and he's not going to say anything either. And this whole time, he's, um, he's that bright. His conversations are that intricate and um he's really grown over the years and i'm very happy for him so that's another part that um, i think that the dodgers had an advantage with was the fact that andrew was sitting there orchestrating a lot of this yeah that's a great point as well and think about it the otani basically fell into the laps of the angels right mm -hmm. yeah we didn't see that coming back then correct now he's essentially fallen into the lap of the dodgers not so much because we didn't think that would be a fit we've thought that all along but the fact that he went to the Dodgers and said, I'll play for you at $2 million a year. I mean, you talk about falling into somebody's lap. That is amazing. And again, I understand $68 million a year, 10 years down the road. But the Dodgers can fund that and will fund that with interest until they have to ask, start writing those big checks for him. This is a huge win, a huge win for the L.A. Dodgers. So in a way, yes, as a $2 million a year player, he fell into the laps of the Dodgers. 
So, Joe, I, I know you already gave us uh, a great saying there with the shirt you wore today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know me. I ask a lot out of you. I'm going to ask for something else to take us home on this Shohei edition of the Book of Joe. Yeah, and it's always about anticipation, right? We knew I knew that Tommy wanted to talk about show today. I didn't know exactly which direction he wanted to take it. But again, I have to be prescient and then try to figure this out in advance. So, and we already touched on it. He said the word today. I've said it too. It's almost like Groucho Marx, the duck coming down with the word of the day on it, right? And this is effective altruism is about asking, someone asking, how can I make the uh, the biggest difference I possibly can? How can I make the biggest difference I possibly can? And that's all he thought. How can I make the biggest difference I possibly can in this entire scenario? Period. And so he, I, I believe he works from pure intentions, I believe he has an altruistic spirit. I believe, yes, he's motivated by being the greatest of all time. I don't think that's narcissistic. That's just, that's just drive. That's just drive. I mean, there's a lot of great members of the human race that have benefited society just by being motivated to the point to be great or the best of what they have done. So he just, it's about how can I make the biggest difference possible? And that's what it all came down to him for him. And I think he thought it all the way through. He had probably some different thoughts. They weigh different, they weigh different uh, organizations, cities. But at the end of the day, it became very obvious at the end. And all roads pointed towards Chavez Ravine. That was, that was fun, Joe. Well said, as always. And look forward to our next time chatting on the Book of Joe. Thanks, Tommy. Have a great day, buddy. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.